You're watching a reality check special broadcast. The focus may be on the battle in parliament, but it's really states where other battles are being fought, especially when it has to do with state finances at a time when there are great stresses because of the pandemic. I'm joined by the Tamil Nadu Finance Minister, Mr. P.T. Rajan. Thank you very much indeed, sir, for uh, joining us here in your office in Chennai. And we are speaking at a time when you're all set to present the first budget of your new government, the DMK government, headed by M.K. Stalin. And you've already, in a sense, come out guns blazing. You've taken out a white paper where you say the state is heavily in debt, almost, I think, 6 lakh crores in debt. Um, but I suppose the question then is, sir, are you already, in a sense, setting yourself up to concede that you may not have the money to fulfill a lot of the promises you made in the elections, many of which involve considerable amount of cash out? Yeah, I think there are probably two or three ways of thinking about this, right? Mm. Uh, I think fulfilling or not fulfilling is the mark of uh, political integrity of a movement, of a party, of a leader. Sure. And that, uh, from the times of our uh, former decades-long leader, Thalaiwar Kalinga, the saying was, Solvadai Sevom, Sevadai Solvom. We do what we say and we say what we do. Right. So from that perspective, uh, I may or may not have agreed with all the poll promises, but the poll promises are binding on all of us. Sure. Uh, and so we are committed to that. I've made that point even in the white paper at the conclusion. I said, this is not an excuse to say that we will renege in the, in okay. the conclusion of my white paper. So you were kind of in the, in the white already paper, the text is conceded there. that you, yeah. will, you yeah. will stick to the promise. Yeah. The only difference I think is, uh, I don't think it's realistic to fulfill all the poll promises within 30 days or 60 days or 100 days of coming to office. I think it would be irresponsible hmm. because whatever the total cost of those promises are, Sure. When you already have a kind of sunken economy and a crisis-ridden kind mm. of situation, mm. and we are already knocking against the borrowing limits. I mean, I think it's beyond irresponsible to even try to do those because the, the list was long and mm. the costs are very high. But, but I have actually a second problem, uh, at least ethically. Okay, I'll come to the second problem in a second. Yeah. But doesn't just the first problem itself become politically problematic because that's what you promised the people so now yeah, I, you know you say <laughs> i've already earned a little little bit of uh, negative uh, feedback on this and i've said i don't recall anywhere in the portfolio in in and you you must understand mm. that the list of poll promises was not one or two it was hundreds yes many yeah. and i don't think anywhere did we say or should reasonable people expect that you can do hundreds of poll promises in two days or three days Right. By contrast, I talk about the you know alleged 15 lakhs per account not done after the second election. Right. By You're talking about the BJP's promise yeah. of 15 so lakhs. So I'm saying, you know, I think people are realistic because uh, certainly that party got re-elected with a greater majority hmm. the second time than the first time. Hmm. So you know, we we are in politics. We interact with the people every day. We make our assessments of what is realistic and what is not. Sure, but give me yeah. an idea because yeah. not everyone would remember. Which were the really big ticket poll promises that are likely to place the maximum strain in your finances? There's already the 4,000 rupee yeah, one-time payment. That was already done and that payment. was a huge, that was an 8,000 something crore uh, promise. Right. Everybody got a, a one-time yeah, Then we did something crore. that we, we that did not. That cost 8,000 crores. 8,000 and change. And yeah. then we did something we had not promised, which is another about 800 crores worth of uh, 14 grocery products 
for every ration card because of the lockdown and sure. the corona. So, if anything, we have exceeded the poll promises based on the circumstances. Then and there is also, which are the other big ones? There's something about the thousand rupees to the women head of households, which one yeah. estimate put it to almost 24,000 crores. Yeah, again, uh, I don't think we uh, estimated based on the numbers. We, what we said was that all the uh, head of household women would get it. Mm. But I think, again, our political opponents will not like to make this distinction, but I make a clear distinction. There was such a thing as a poll manifesto document. Sure. And it's the ones listed in yeah. But this was not in that. Right. Just to make that clear. Okay. There was a separate kind of uh, conference or Manada in Trichy. Right. At which uh, the chief minister, now chief minister, then leader of the opposition, leader of the DMK, MK Stalin, said, this is my 10-year vision. Sure. And in that 10-year vision, he gave a lot of uh, data points about the size of the Tamil Nadu economy, right. the total extent of uh, um, uh, investment to be attracted, the number of jobs to be created, etc. There was a 10-point, 10 10-year 10 vision. Sure. And sure. one of those 10-year vision items was, was this, the, uh, this uh, so, uh, so, 1,000 rupees. Okay. So have you done a rough back of the envelope or perhaps more detailed calculation of what the total poll promises Num estimate could come to? Yeah, Ballpark. I, not many of them were related to money. Some of them were, some of them were related to execution, some sure. of them were related to legislation. I have certainly not done all of it together, but I, perhaps my second answer is the right answer to this okay, question, okay, sure. which is that I am reluctant to actually do a lot of things because of the complete lack of data and the, not just the lack of good data, but the clear evidence of malfeasance that we have discovered after coming into the office. So, for example, it's no secret that many of the people we gave the 4,000 rupees on the ration card to were undeserving of it. Hmm. Right? They were not poor families, they were not below poverty line, there were government employees in that list, there were income tax assessees on that list. Right. Certainly it is neither in the interests of macroeconomics, nor of social justice, nor of democracy, that you should take that kind of money and give it to people who don't really need it. Right. Because they're already in the right place. So, you know, this distinction cannot be made because our data systems are so bad and our, uh, you know, malfeasance is so high. Some I of it see. is not malfeasance, some of it is bad data. I'm trying to sure. make the separation. Of course. Some of it is just bad data. We don't know who is what. We don't know who's at what level. Interesting. So and some of it is clear malfeasance. For example, when we have gone and investigated the, the crop loan waiver that was done by the previous government, hmm. it is horrendous. There is so much malfeasance there Okay. that uh, it's staggering. Right. Right. I mean, people have allegedly taken a crop loan hmm. and gotten it waived, except the area where they should have been doing the planting, if that document is right, right. is actually in the premises of a government arts college. Right? Okay, so obviously so fake, say, fake beneficiaries yeah, so, skimming so, the... So, so I, in my personal philosophy, which I've reiterated again and again and again to the Chief Minister, hmm. and which I said in the White Paper press conference, is that it is almost as bad an outcome for you to put money out of the government into undeserving or malfeasance hands. Okay, so... As it is to not put it in the right hands, because it is equally uh, against your intent. You, you are in a zero-sum game. Sure. You know, none of us has excess revenues. We are all deficit finance governments. Yes. So if I don't put it in the right hands, 
it means I don't have enough money. If I put it in the wrong hands, it means I could have used that money to pay this person. Okay, so you've actually set yourself a fairly challenging parameter. You're saying that first you want to actually plug the, the corruption, the other leakages in the pipeline. Yeah, I'm not saying it's 100% doable. Sure, I'm but as largely, yeah. before you start flooding putting water in the pipe, you first need to start doing yeah, I, I some think, patching. I think you should, uh, you should assume that there's many things. There's broken systems, there's lack of clarity, there's corruption, and there's malfeasance on the part of the beneficiary, which obviously includes some corruption as part Okay, of so Mr. Rajan, let me ask you this. In, in, in practical terms, this makes complete sense, but as you know, politics doesn't always impinge on practicality. Have you faced any pushback to, to, to what you're saying within your own yeah, I mean, cabinet uh, colleagues. Uh, of, course, of course, there's always internal debates about the speed and the relative value mm. of things. But I think, you know, uh, see, I want to make a distinction. And I've made this in a Tamil interview a couple of days ago. Our party stands for a certain set of values. Mm. One of those values is self-respect, mm. right? That's what we mm. espouse as the mm. Dravidian movement. Mm. Self-respect says that I can have a difference of opinion with the in uh, any other minister or even with my chief minister. Mm. He is the chief minister, so he makes the final call. Mm. But that does not mean that I am not allowed to think on my own, that I cannot have an independent view, that mm. I cannot have a more technical uh, perspective. Mm. So the way this works is that we are all giving inputs to the chief minister right. and he makes the final call. Once he makes whatever call he makes, yeah. then we are all bound by that call. Just like I say, sure. it's not clear to me that I would have chosen these poll promises. Sure. And I was very clear, let me put it personal philosophy. When I stood for election the first time as an MLA, I refused to make any promise. Hmm. I said, I don't know the system well enough if I can deliver or not. Right. So I made zero poll promises when I got elected in 2016. Okay. When that is completely the opposite yeah. of the political when culture of Tamil Nadu. When I got elected in 2021, so. I only made three poll promises. Only three. I said, I will make sure that the underwater, underground drainage system that has been in progress for mm. 11 years and not completed gets completed. Right. I will make sure that the third collective drinking water scheme, which is supposed to have started five years ago and not been done, right. gets done and 130 uh, liters per day are mm. delivered for every resident. Mm. And I will make sure that the Kumbhagashayam uh, uh, and Tirupani of Madurai Meenakshi Temple, mm. which has not started on time, it should have been done every 12 years, right. gets done and I'll ask the Chief Minister to name me as the Chairman for the committee and I'll make sure it gets done under my watch. Okay. That's the only three promises I made on right. the second one. Right. I did not promise one rupee, one project, yes. one anything. Mixer, right? grinder, TV. Nothing, nothing. That. But, that but your party does no, that. No, but, so no, 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 but that doesn't mean, I don't think yeah. my party did mix a grinder, but my party made other commitments. Yeah. So that is the way that a good system is supposed to work, that you have people of differing views or opinions who all talk it out, debate it, have... And then you come to And then when the, whatever the chief minister says after sure. listening to all of us, that is the path for all of us to follow. So I am as committed to delivering his commitments hmm. as he is. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Let's pull back a little bit from the state to look at the wider picture of the center because you and many other chief ministers have made the point that adding to your financial stress is not just this carryover of debt, but the fact that you're not getting compensated by the GST dues. The figure that we found on the government's uh, own website is it's about 1.4 lakh crores yeah. Something of, like of that dues, of which you are about 10,000 crores. Yeah. You're still owed, which is... Not a huge amount, but I guess in stress times, every yeah, amount every, counts. Every rupee counts. But overall, you actually uh, have been very harsh with uh, 
the GST council. Uh, you said it's a toothless body. And I'm not sure that harsh is the right word. <laughs> you, speaking you, truth is not necessarily harsh. Right? Okay. I mean, I didn't, I didn't like castigate anybody. I just laid out the truth as I see it. So. But you, but you don't think that? I mean, of course there may be systemic flaws, but you don't think that it has still the potential to actually work as some kind of regulator, referee in terms of how federal funds are... I, I mean, listen, I, I, no. I'm, I'm the latest entrant, right? Many of the people have been there before, even my uh, fellow finance minister from, uh, uh, from Kerala, uh, Thiru Balakrishnan, mm. though he's also a first-time finance minister, he's been in the Rajya Sabha and was on the select committee that examined the bill and all this. So, you know, clearly I'm not the most erudite or most kind of uh, deep opinion on this topic. Mm. I'm just looking at it as a systems analyst or as an ex-banker or as an ex-consultant and I find such profound structural flaws and lack of clarity which raises the question if four years after the council and the law and the system we still debate an hour and a half at the beginning of a meeting that happens after an eight-month break when the law calls for every three-month meeting. Yeah. The first hour and a half of the 43rd council meeting uh, was which items on the agenda are for approval, which are for ratification, or which are only for information. If that is not yet clear to the bulk of the members, enough that there is a discussion, then surely this is not an ideal system. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How, well, we, there were some fireworks as well, I think, with, with your uh, Goa counterpart, uh, <laughs> with you. Um, well, again, not provoked by me. I didn't open my mouth for 36 uh, hours or so after the meeting. Right. After press conferences were held and national media carried the news, then I responded. But uh, from the meeting finished at 7 or 8 p.m. on Friday, right. till Sunday morning, I didn't have anything to say about it. I didn't, and I addressed the press conference okay. on Saturday evening without addressing that matter. Okay, now we have a situation where the government is actually center seems to be suggesting that the economy is starting to turn around and uh, various figures are being cited, uh, GST collections are up about 14%, this is compared to 2019 because 2020 is a pandemic year, so 2019 versus current exports, uh, highest ever monthly exports in July, the purchasing managers index is up, uh, first, uh, July 21 is the first time when the PMI manufacturing recorded an increase in employment since the pandemic began. Firstly, are you actually seeing signs of a turnaround? which is something the government is using to claim that, look, the opposition is attacking us for mismanaging the economy, things aren't that bad. Look, I think mismanagement is not in question. I think relative to anywhere in the world or relative to any logic mm. or relative to how states have handled their responsibilities, mm. it is not debatable that the union has mismanaged their role very badly. How would you respond to these no, no, numbers? So, so, that, yeah. that, so let's not debate what is not worth debating. Okay. Now you say, yeah. Is it truly turning around? I certainly hope so, right? I mean, I, I, I'm still a bit nervous because our numbers are better than we feared, but not as good as we expected. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, certainly, the, the interim budget estimates that the predecessor government had left of 30%, 35% increases and all look like kite flying. Hmm. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't know the second wave was coming. Whether you, that's a virtue or a, or a flaw, you can decide for yourself because they had zero allowances or, or plans for it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you say, are we as badly impacted today as we were two, three months ago, the answer is no. Hmm. If you say, did the second wave, which in medical magnitude and infection magnitude was 6x or 8x the first wave, sure. 
was that as big a strain on the economy as last year's, you know, unannounced or four-hour announced lockdown for months mm. on end? Not, not anywhere close. The damage of last year was much, much, much worse. Sure. Because this year we never really went to that full. So even though the wave was 6x, the economic impact was much, much less. Because there wasn't that kind of national yeah. lockdown. But, so, would you, but would you start seeing these signs of whatever one wants to call it, in period recovery, just simply by virtue of the fact that the impact, I mean the lockdowns are not as severe and so on, or would you give some credit to the centre for this, saying look, maybe yeah, there may I'll, be earlier mismanagement, but now they're doing a better yeah, job. I, I, no. Yeah, I, I don't have enough data to give credit. Okay. I, hope, I hope the data will prove them right. Right. Even if the data turns out well, I'm not sure how much they can get credit for it because they have to give us some concrete actions that they took where there was a cause and an effect. Right. The natural, see, we have two effects going on. One is uh, the natural inclination of returning to normal from lockdown will improve things. Right. The second is what we call the low base effect. When you yes. have had already a bad year, the number gets set down so that everything else gets up yes. and pent up or unused or, uh, you know, uh, demand will will come into the market. Yes. So, I am of the fear, let me put it clearly, I am of the fear that the economy has suffered structural damage. Not just because of COVID, but because of the slowing and the bad policies and the lack of the right corrective actions at the right time. So, I am of the fear that the economy has suffered structural damage and that it will take us a significant time to get wow. back anywhere near the path we used to be. I may Got be it. wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yes, I hope, that, they, I hope that they're brilliant. Yeah. But we were already, let's not forget, seven or eight quarters of steadily declining growth before we heard the word COVID. Yeah. So, so there was so, a, there was a history there. Yeah. So so maybe I'm may, you know I hope I'm being overly pessimistic. Uh, to your the precise answer to your question is. Let's wait for a couple more months of data. And before then, we can see. Before we even say whether the shoots are permanent, the green shoots. Right. And then we'll talk about what are the causes that relate to that. Is it just the natural recovery from a dip or has there been any actual policy action okay. that created? So, so, so we were talking about the, the sort of economic charter of trying to meet promises after coming to power. The other is the whole kind of, in a sense, the political charter, which is also to do with now reports that your government is planning to initiate cases against the, the leaders of the previous yeah, listen, regime. Listen, I don't think the government is that the is that something which could cases. be seen as vendetta or? Uh, I mean, I don't think the government takes policy decisions. You know, even when they were not taking the complaints properly, it was not official government policy, right? For example, the main complainant in the case that you are talking about, this uh, former minister Velumani's raid yesterday is not the government, is not the DMK, is an independent NGO. They are the original complainant to the mm. DVAC and they got uh, the High Court of Madras to force the DVAC to register that case two years ago. And that case was that the previous government tried to, of course unofficially, will they ever say officially? Mm. Unofficially they tried to have it quashed by having the DVAC SP mm. file a report saying I can't find anything. Isn't it shocking that the SP who couldn't find anything now the new team goes and they find all kinds of evidence in 40, 30 companies. So you're saying this is this is not a political settling of scores because because Mr. OPS and EPS have gone to Delhi to meet the leadership there. They can there go to, to say, whoever. You know, listen, about, listen. Yeah, yeah. There has never been institutionalized corruption of the scale that happened between 2016 December after Ms. Jalita died and 2021 uh, February. 
it is beyond all realms of known corruption it is running into tens of thousands of crores there have been cases there have been cases filed in the dvac with the high court of madras's stamp saying prima facie there is a case here investigated on the former chief minister mr aps the former deputy chief minister mr aps the mm. former minister mr velamani the former minister mr tangamani the former minister mr vijay baskar who was raided by the it department and everybody else during the february 2017 so okay. i mean listen when you are in government uh, you may be can control the speed or the uh, movement of a case at least in a state level sure. in the union level they do many things yeah. i don't want to get into that yeah. but in this case it is very hard to create i mean anybody who lives in tamil nadu will tell you there was egregious rampant outright corruption as, as somebody pointed out yesterday yes. in yes. this minister's case yes it's one thing to have as for, uh, that is a former admk mla mr palanisamy of karur mm. pointed out in tv interview yesterday he said there are many levels of corruption there's a corruption where you say or you tell the guy you win the tender make sure you pay me for election fund some day then there's a nearby you set up the tender where you say hey no no unless you pay me one. and he said there's value money this is the admk mp former mp he said there's value money type of corruption where the owner of the company is his brother the supplier is his son the the giving is his department and they inflate the price of light bulbs to 2x or 3x and take the government money so blatantly and pay it to themselves through their family members okay but how can that be not be investigated but the contention yeah. that corruption is not the monopoly of any one political party I, in tamil nadu even previous dmk regimes I, i don't disagree also were no, elected i, I never said corruption. I, I, i never said that it was right did i say that it was a monopoly hmm. of one party right i am just saying that till ms jayalalitha was in control it, it was, was still like, not as uh, much it was like a gang of thieves that were under some kind of head and control right she herself is convicted as you know hmm. i'm sure you remember that hmm. it once she disappeared it became as i have said politically and the consequences mm-hmm. also for corruption mm-hmm. is a bunch of kind of uh, headless tails and legs tamil la tala illa kaalgal vaalgal so they started running independent little fiefdoms okay and it got out of control let me ask you in conclusion because there is a, a side to you which is quite outspoken and i'm sure by now your colleagues and your leaders would have realized this uh, and especially on twitter where you see you getting into fights uh, including by the way with jaggi vasudev uh, for for various reasons uh, has that have you ever has anyone ever said anything to you in terms of well, has said listen no listen i mean now you're now you're a minister maybe now yeah. no i think take listen, it i think take it easy I, or yeah i think there's all you know there's multiple perspectives to this uh, i said somewhere i think to the times of india when they said you're very combative mm-hmm. and i said all i said was the truth so if you are used to somebody bending and scraping all the time then a man standing upright looks combative to you and that's the truth right i so i have not combative not, is fine no 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 no, no, no but i'm saying that's that's one way of looking yeah. at it another way of looking at it is of course i'm a minister sure of course i have uh, very important things to do yes. and the last thing i need to do is engage in unnecessary debate and I'll, and i'm learning i'll give you an example yeah yesterday the actor mr kamla hasan yes has made some comment about uh, the white paper i i released yeah and somebody called me for a comment and i said it's not worth it i mean right. like i'm talking about finance and yes. you know fairly complicated public uh, policy and yes. stuff like that surely an actor is not the one for whom i should be giving a, a kind of response so i let it go 
but some of the time it's about the principles we stand for, right? Some of the time, for example, we yes. come from the self-respect movement. Yes. Uh, you can see the, you know, that I am a follower of uh, uh, Goddess Meenakshi and right. I'm also uh, of Periyar who says as long as that God doesn't discriminate between people and doesn't require gifts as the basis for entry and all that, I have no, no, no. So why I'm saying that is part of Periyar's uh, uh, instruction to yes. people who follow in the way of Periyar, right. the Dravidians, was that you must expose the fake Swamis and the the, the, the charlatans. Okay. Because so, it so is that's why society you've been calling Jaggi Vasudev a commercial operator and a publicity hound amongst other yeah, things. Charlatan is the right word. A man who claims to do things and or be things that he's not. That's but not. even but now as minister, I mean No, no, no I listen, I don't yeah. go out of the way. You ask me a question, okay. my answer doesn't change if I'm a minister or if I'm not a minister. Fair enough. I don't go out of my way to tell you things. You ask me a question, I give you an answer. Fair enough. Yeah. But, but you didn't answer my other question that have yeah. you, has anyone said, taken you aside and said, listen, take it, or has that... Many, 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 many. people. <laughs> but, uh, you know, listen, uh, of course... But I'm saying, I'm talking of within the DMK, has no, anyone... That, that, that and all I can't say, right? That. I mean, of course, listen, I, I'm still in the job, I'm still doing the, the best work I know how to do. Okay. Of course, everything requires a balance. Of course, nobody wants to take on unnecessary conflict. Sure. Right? It's not my day job to... Somebody asked me a question, I said, the evidence against Jaggi Vasudev, as is the evidence against Velmani, as sure. is the evidence against 50 such people. Right. Black and white in the CAG reports, in the books of the government, you know. Okay. The problem we have in our society, and Jaggi Vasudev is only the, the tip of the iceberg. Sure. Is that it is almost impossible to actually convict anybody of any wrongdoing or hmm. to get them to hmm. pay the consequence or give retribution or anything. Hmm. On the other hand, we have just seen what they have learned to do in New Delhi, yeah. which is to use agencies as weapons irrespective of whether you're innocent. Right. They can't convict you because you've done nothing wrong. Right. But they can come after you and harass you and make your life difficult. You'll be the first example of that. Right. Okay. So, All right. Well, let's see how it goes. Mr. Yagrandan, we look forward to seeing your budget and how that plays out. But uh, thank you so much for talking to us as candidly as always. Anytime, anytime. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>